Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Craig Fritz. Craig, what's going on? How's it going, Bill? You know, just adjusting to the time change uh, here in Maryland. It's uh, hit us pretty hard in the Fritz household, so we're we're just trying to trying to get through that, that the difficult times that, that folks are having out there with the early day, early darkness. Yeah, I I did the thing today where I woke up. You know, I, I shouldn't tell the story to a dad. <laughs> Because looking mad at me, but I woke up and I rolled over and I looked at my phone and I saw seven forty-five and I was like, ah, damn! I wanted to sleep in a little bit more, and then it dawned on me. Wait, no, I did sleep in about as much as I normally do. So that was uh, that was nice. And I know you probably want to kill me now, so let's talk about something. Uh, uh, what was that? I was just gonna say your seven forty-five was my five forty-five with my old saying. But for him, it felt like 645. So, you know, I can't really blame him. He's only 18 months old. Yeah, I guess. Uh, But let's talk about let's 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 talk about something that isn't the time change. And that is Penn State's uh, drubbing, walloping, beat down, whatever you want to call it, of the Indiana Hoosiers in Bloomington on Saturday afternoon. The Nittany Lions went into a place that has been a bit of a little shop of horrors for them over the years and picked up a very, very convincing 45 to 14 win outgamed the Hoosiers 483 to 196, 27 first downs to their 11, uh, 304 passing yards, 179 rushing yards, uh, won the turnover battle, won the time of possession battle. Craig, this was just about the perfect, you know, little things we can quibble with here and there, but this was just about a perfect performance out of Penn State on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, especially when you consider the injuries on the offensive line that no one really saw coming, um, they mauled Indiana. Yeah, and I don't think I think this is probably um, probably Tom Allen's worst team uh, in the last uh, handful, and they have no co- consistent quarterback play to speak of. But the way that the offensive line got a push, the way that the defensive line was living in the Hoosier backfield um it was almost shocking at some points to see how violent guys were getting to Tuttle and other quarterbacks at IU and disrupting plays yeah and we'll talk about uh the offensive line certainly I mean that was to to me I think a lot of people are going to say the big story of the game was Drew Aller getting a ton of run or Katron Allen's performance you know Katron Allen very well might end up being the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week uh, for Stun. his performance this Oof. week. But, but before we get into any of that stuff, Craig, I want to start by asking, was this what you expected out of Penn State in this game? What I ask by that is, ask about is like, not was this what you expected at the very best end, you know, the, the top – 10 percentile performance that we'd get out of Penn state. Not what you would think are the best case scenario if everything went right, blah, 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 blah. Was this what you were expecting Penn state to be able to come out and do against Indiana? Because I would argue it was that old issue of coming off of a loss. It was coming off of a very emotional game against Ohio state. We saw Ohio state earlier in the day look like they were playing, you know, look like they had a hangover in their game against Northwestern. So maybe some fears of that with the offensive line issues, with kind of the looming questions about the quarterback. Did you think this was something that Penn State was going to come out and do, or did you think this was going to end up being a lot more difficult than it ended up being? 
Well, so the, I picked Penn State against the spread, and you know it was thirteen and a half at least the, the that I got, and so I expected this to not necessarily be a close game. I think the way that it ended up playing out was um, not how I would have foreseen it going at all. Even though knowing that we've had tight, weird games in Indiana at in Bloomington, I would say weird is a good description. Uh, you know, maybe games that the score ended up being larger margin than what it was when we had a defensive touchdown in the last 90 seconds that um, turned a close game into what appeared to be a blowout. But I, I did not expect the dominance that we saw basically once – Penn State got into the rhythm of the game after the first few series. It was like they were decisive, knew what they wanted to do generally, mm-hmm. and um, I was impressed, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, the thing I, – I went on to uh, the Hardcore Penn State Football Podcast this week, and uh, I basically said my thing with this game is that Something, it's just always a weird game against Indiana. And that was why I, I picked something like Penn State to 28 to 14. Indiana gets up for this game. Penn State, uh, you know, sometimes ends up reeling, you know, find itself reeling heading into this game. There was that really great quote from Bryce Effner, I believe, where he basically said, Penn State did not have music in practice this week because James Franklin wanted the players to have to bring their own energy, to have to come out with the firewood under their asses because, you know, we'll be candid. We knew what the situation was going to be in Bloomington. That was going to be a dead crowd. It was going to be a dead game against an opponent that's not particularly good. And Penn State was going to have to find that extra gear that has that, oh, again, referencing the Ohio State Northwestern game will so often be hard for teams to find after emotional games, particularly after emotional losses and has been a bit of a problem for Penn state over the years coming off of losses. So I did not expect this. I like, I truly think this is on both sides of the football. One of the best overall performances we've seen after the James Frank out of the James Franklin era in happy Valley. And you know, there was really that one moment in the first half. Yeah, in the first half where Penn State scores a touchdown, Indiana comes right back out, goes ultra high tempo, has them on their heels a little bit. It looked like they were just really struggling with the speed that Indiana wanted to play at. Very next play, Sean Clifford makes a poor read, throws an interception. You know, Brenton Strange's arm hits it, pops it up in the air, right into the arms of Taiwan Wallen, whatever. Indiana has the ball, Craig, first and 10 from the Penn State 31. And here's what happened after that. Three plays, first down to get down to the Penn State 19. First and 10 from the 19, loss of four yards. Second and 14 from the 32, or second and 14 from the 23, loss of nine yards. Then a false start, third and 28, a sack of seven yards. Indiana has to punt. And for me, that was the moment in this game where I went, okay, Penn, like anything that happens now, Penn State's in total control. Because once that happened, I'm interested in your thoughts here. Once that happened, I thought Indiana was dead to rights. 
Yeah, I'd agree. Um, it was so impressive to see the defense just completely negate the turnover. And if you remember, they sort of did that against Ohio State last week when you had like this freak ball pops into the air, gets picked. Um, the defense also came out and negated Ohio State, kind of made sure that that turnover didn't matter, really picked up their offense and got the ball back. Um, it was just remarkable to see. I mean, I think I think the total was something like 16 tackles for loss um, by the defense, which is an absurd number. Um, I don't have it in front of me how many plays Indiana ran. Um, but 16 tackles for loss is like a quarter of the plays in the game. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's just ridiculous. Um, and so to see them not will in the like it was a mausoleum in bloomington and that's no disrespect to the fans there there's not a whole lot to cheer about with this particular hoosier unit but they really um there was they as you said brought the energy the entire game the defense was flying around pumping each other up big play after big play and I, i i agree that was a huge turning point in the game and um i mean you never want to see a guy injured but once they knocked Tuttle out of the game. It was basically, it was academic at that point. There was no way Penn State was going to um, do anything other than than win the game. Do Do you think the true freshman Brendan Soresby that they put in after Tuttle, like that was punishment for missing a class or something? Because I cannot imagine why on earth they, especially because then after they put him in for a few plays. And that obviously did not work. They then went to the guy who can move and like, he didn't do anything, but he still had a little bit of juice about him. It it was ridiculous. But uh, like you mentioned, 16 tackles for loss uh, for Penn state's defense. Kobe King led the way with two and a half. Dick Tarburton had two. Adisa Isaac had two. Chop Robinson had two. And a whole lot of guys had either one or half of one. Uh, And then sacks, Nick Tarburton, Jair Brown, Adisa Isaac, Chop Robinson, Devon Elliott, and Koziah Izzard all registered one. And can we talk about real quick just how violent these tackles for loss were? Like, yeah, Nick Tarburton's sack was like, like bone rattling. Uh, Jair Brown's sack w- would have destroyed anyone not in pads. I mean, they were through the line so fast that I literally did the yelps and the yips watching the game. Like, <laughs> oh. you know, it, it was, it was. Just ridiculous, and I keep the, saying that, but it, it, the Jire, it truly was the Jire Brown one where uh, third and a mile, he's up against an offensive lineman. He gets around him, the line, the running back comes up to block him, and he just like one euro step. <laughs> euro and like, go, oh my god, it was so good. <laughs> uh, so let's get into talking about this game a little bit. We're gonna we will talk about Penn State's quarterback situation in a second. I know everyone's going, everyone wants to hear. Uh, about that. We will get to that in a bit. But before we do that, I want to start by just looking, Craig, at both sides of the football and what went right for Penn State in those two facets of the game. And I want to start with Penn State's offense. Like we said, 483 total yards, 304 yards passing, 179 yards rushing, only that one turnover, seven for 16 on third downs, two for two on fourth downs. And I say all of that, Craig, and the thing that makes it so wild is that 
you know, depending on how you want to define Bryce Effner's role, Penn State had two starting offensive linemen. Again, two and a half if you want to count uh, whatever role Effner has. So when you look at this offensive performance for Penn State, what was it that went right and made it so the Nittany Lions were able to put up 45 points and nearly 500 total yards? I mean, you, the, one sack allowed and only three tackles for loss in the entire day. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, you know, Indiana's defensive line pedigree or it just seemed like J.B. Shelton is a true freshman starting um, – I messed up his name. Drew Shelton and then J.B. Nelson. J.B. Nelson. I, I, you know, I never realized Shelton and Nelson can be – you are – like, I'm not making fun of you legitimately. You no. can't, I can see how you would mix those up. I'm, yes. I'm also old. and Anyway, true freshman <laughs> left tackle. And the kid got beat a couple times, but, you know, Clifford only got sacked once in the first series – and they were opening running lanes for these running backs the entire game. It, it seemed yeah. like every time Penn State needed a couple yards, they were able to get it. Every time Penn State was on the goal line and Katron Allen got the ball, you felt like he was going to score, whether through a ridiculous individual effort, breaking three tackles, bowling over a guy at the goal line, or having this like chasm open in a cutback by the offensive line where they just completely washed the um, IUD line down, um, that was to me the most impressive. Sean Clifford and Drew Aller generally clean jerseys the entire day. Mm-hmm. Um, and the running backs were just able to to be beasts um, in the red zone, which has been a struggle for Penn State on the road. And, you know, um, especially during the COVID year, holy cow. But it, that to me was to have all those guys out, you're down Wallace, you're down uh, Fashanu, you're down uh, Tangwall, Nora, uh, Hunter Norzad gets hurt. It, it was just war. Uh, Sal warmly was out for a little, for was Nick towards the end of the game. Um, and for them to just continue to maul this Indiana defensive front was impressive. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the one sack that a Penn State quarterback took. That was Sean Clifford, and there were some moments where Clifford had to run around to evade sacks later in the game. But that one sack came after Norzad gets hurt on the very first play of the game, and they have to put in J.B. Shelton in the offensive line on the left side. And protecting the quarterback's blind side uh, were a true freshman and a junior college transfer so I think it's I I think it was important to mention that because that's what I was going to point to as well Craig like this is this is one of those games that it is a testament to what James Franklin I think saw in Phil Troutwine at when he decided he was going to make a Penn State's offensive line coach as a guy who could develop offensive linemen as a guy who can scout and identify offensive linemen and as a guy who can have a five-man offensive line unit where there isn't an obvious weak point that an opposing team could just hammer and hammer and hammer and hammer. Like we mentioned, true freshman in Drew Shelton, junior college transfer, Juice Scruggs been a solid guy. Salim Mornley has been a little up and down. Bryce Effner, uh, you know, a bit of a weird role in the team. Think about every Penn State offense that we have seen under James Franklin. And if at any point they had to go down, 
even one starting offensive lineman. That that has been something that snowballs for this team or is liable to snowballing for this team. That front last year against Villanova got pushed around. And this, like you and I have mentioned a few times in this pod, and I'm sure we will mention a million other times, uh, this is not a particularly good Indiana team. Uh, by the second half, they just looked like they didn't want to be there anymore. Yeah, like they that mixed with the fact that you know we'll look at look at their drive chart. They had that uh, eight play touchdown drive, uh, then that six play drive uh, that ended with. Uh, you know, the fourth and a mile and a punt, and then three plays, three plays, three plays, three plays, two plays to kneel it out. Second half, three plays, two plays, three plays, seven plays, one play, and then it's 45 to seven by that point. That defense was exhausted. And obviously, that plays a big role in it. But at the same time, Penn State's offensive line was able to do more than what it needed to do. Um, it's at the point where I'm a little bit upset that we didn't get to see the ones because I think Olu Fushanu would have just like driven someone through the earth's core yeah, for sure. with this performance. So I think this, uh, well, I was just going to say, I think this is one of those performances by the offensive line that the fact that they have, you know, eight, nine guys they trust to one extent or another is something huge. It's invaluable. And we saw them get a couple of guys experience and run who, you know, if Fashanu goes to the NFL, if Scruggs is done, I believe Scruggs is done after this year, Scruggs is done after this year, like they have guys they could put in there that they could trust. And the other thing you mentioned, Craig, and I'd love for you to kind of, uh, you know, no pun intended, take the ball and run with it, is the performance of Penn State's running backs. Katron Allen, Nick Singleton, the two of them combined 34 carries, 159 yards, 4.68 yards per carry and four touchdowns. Neither of them, the longest run that Singleton had was 15 yards. The longest run that Allen had was 12 yards. They lacked those big plays, but what they lacked in big plays, they made up for in just consistency and reliability. Yeah. I mean, like we said, I, you know, I almost felt like Nick didn't have 16 carries, just feeling like the game flow. It felt like every big run was coming from Fat Man, but, you know, just. The way that they let's go to the first the first touchdown where Singleton runs into like this freeway uh, open freeway to the left, um, and I don't know if everybody picked up on it, but they flipped uh, Efner over to the left side and went mm -hmm. jumbo on that side with an extra offensive lineman, and Indiana just had no answer for it. They were just completely paved out of the way. And with Singleton speed, there was never a doubt that he was going to get yep. to the corner. And he didn't even have to turn on the jets to get there. And then, you know, I'm just so impressed with the way that Allen is patient, but hits the hole hard when he sees it and is like, turns these two, three yard gains into, holy cow, he popped that for nine. Oh, he popped that yep. for seven. And then I think it was his third touchdown where he looked dead to rights in the backfield and he jukes a guy, shrugs off a tackle, and then sh just blasts his way into the end zone. And I'm just sitting there going, like, this is a true freshman. Yep. Who now, this is Penn State's ninth game of the year. So he's had some seasoning and has a bunch of carries. But holy cow, you know, just the natural. It's such a, a refreshing change. You know, we were robbed. Um, an extra year of journey Brown with COVID and his heart issue. And I'm glad that was discovered, you know, 
you play yeah. safety, but um, since 2019, it's been a slog for backs at Penn State, and this is like a revelation. It's so cool to see. Yeah, and you mentioned Allen shrugging off guys. That does not even include his uh, his two catches for 72 yards, the second of which went for 45 yards, where he catches a ball a yard behind the line of scrimmage. Someone on Indiana literally has him dead to rights in the backfield, and he just kind of you know, big brothers and the guy gets off him and he has that big run up the sideline slaloms across the middle of the field and gets up the sideline a little more. And just like to uh, really drive home how tough of a dude he is. Uh, someone on Indiana came up to him to tackle him. He just lowered his shoulder and just like popped right into the dude. Uh, so yeah, I, you, I, I'm actually glad that you mentioned Singleton's touchdown because I think Allen's touchdowns Obviously, they deserve a lot of mention and a lot of credit. I, I think what he does, like you mentioned, his ability to see a hole, foot in the dirt, attack it, pick up six or seven yards. You know, that's the stuff that is it, – it's why I think he is Penn State's best running back right now for how talented I think Nick Singleton is. Singleton, he looks like a running back who comes from an optional offense in high school. Allen looks like a kid who comes from IMG Academy and has been running college and NFL stuff from the time yeah. he was – from the second he stepped on campus. So like, I think that'll come with Singleton, but I'm again, I'm really glad you mentioned Singleton's long touchdown run because you mentioned Efner going over to the left. How many times over the years, and this goes to the offensive line, it goes to Singleton because a guy got through the offensive line uh, for Indiana and, you know, dove and tried to take Singleton down. But how many times over the years have we seen Penn State try to run some sort of sweep or some sort of wide running play. And someone just gets right into the backfield and Kayvon Lee or Devin Ford or, you know, no knock on those guys. It's just Nick Singleton has a different level of burst to him. They get met in the backfield and they're taken down for a loss of four or five. And Singleton just has that extra gear where he's able to turn on the jets and no one's even close to him. And I think like, He's magnif- like he's a magnificent football player. He and Allen are magnificent football players. We got that glimpse into the best version of Penn State with how the two of them were able to run the football and make things a little bit easier in the passing game. Um, we'll save like the big quarterback talk for a little while from now, Craig. But just generally, what were your thoughts on how Dr- Sean Clifford played? What were your thoughts on Drew Allen played? Uh, the two of them combined 24 for 35, 304 yards, 8.7 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, and an interception. There's a couple of things I wanted to point out. Uh, I, I, you know, I think it would be remiss if we didn't give credit to some of the catches that were made on yes. both of the quarterbacks' behalf, especially Sean Clifford. I mean, Mitchell Tinsley made an unreal catch on the sideline to extend the touchdown drive, made yeah. an unreal catch on a scramble drill where cliff rolled out to the right is getting chased by a defensive lineman chucks the ball Mm -hmm. down the field it looks like total pi uncalled tinsley you know has this juggle thing where it lands just kind of like lands here on the db and he gets it and then we have this play going in the third quarter in the opposite direction where Sean Clifford basically threw a ball through a defender's back and Brenton Strange somehow caught it, which might be the most ridiculous catch I've seen from this team this year. Um, So I want to call those out first. I think Clifford did a really good job managing the game um, as he is apt to do. Um, I think he missed a couple things, which 
tends to happen, especially the interception. If you were watching the broadcast, Dan Orlovsky pointed out that uh, he basically read the, the flat defender wrong. If he came down towards Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson was open on a corner route and had beaten his man. And that looked like it should have been the read instead of trying to fire mm-hmm. it to um, Strange. But overall, like, I didn't have a problem with how I, – I really generally don't have a problem with how Clifford's played, especially his last three games. The offense has shown creativity, um, execution, signs of life. Um, they've generally kept the quarterbacks clean. And if not for a freak day from Ohio State's defensive line, um, we might be having a different conversation. Yeah. And then – Yeah, I – oh, go ahead. I was just going to say I didn't, I didn't get to, to Drew and – you know, he only had 12 attempts, but some of the, those are the passes where you're like, oh, okay, now everybody, the, this, the, the first one to, to young cliff, um, over the middle for 17 yards or whatever it was, uh, was a holy cow type throw. And then his touchdown to Trey Wallace again was a holy cow type throw when he probably could have just run it in himself. Um, but he just put it in a spot where no one else could catch it other than Trey. And those two throws were just, I think a glimpse of, and again, Orlovsky was really speaking my language um, during the broadcast saying, like, I really want to see Aller control the line of scrimmage, get the guys in the position that they're supposed to be in, not so much worried about his ability to make throws because we know that he can do that. But can he get the offense in the most successful play? And um, I, I think he was I think it was in general, everyone you know had a great day. It was it was fun to watch. Uh, yeah, real quick. Uh, the last two game Penn State games that the duo of Dan Orlovsky and Bob Washusen have done were the Illinois game last year and the Northwestern game this year. So I am mostly happy that the two of them got to watch a good Penn State performance in person because I, I I'm a big fan of both of those dudes. Uh, yeah, I, I I would say with Clifford that was a you know, it was a nice Sean Clifford performance. Uh, 15 for 23, 229 yards, 10 yards per attempt. No touchdowns. The interception wasn't particularly good. Uh, should have throws, had a touchdown. Put one, should on, have had, put yeah, one on Theo he, Johnson. At the Theo Johnson, it, fe- <laughs> it wasn't even thrown to Theo Johnson. It, like, gracefully landed in his hands. Like, if Aller, if Aller makes that throw, that throw is evidence that Drew Aller should be starting over right. Sean Clifford. Absolutely. Clifford dropped it in the bucket. Listen, Johnson dropped it. That happens. Oh, well. But for the most part, uh, the throw to, he had a couple of throws that were just a little bit off. You know, he had that one uh, that Tinsley went to grab that uh, that he reeled into, like you mentioned, extend the drive. But otherwise, it was just like it was a professional performance by Sean Clifford. Right? You're at this point, he is what he is. There are going to be those moments like that interception where it's just a little bit wrong. And then there are going to be moments where you look and it's like, oh, he still completed 65.2% of his passes. He was averaging 10 yards per attempt. He kept getting Penn State's offense down the field. I think that after he got that, you know, it's weird to put it this way, but get that interception out of him. Came on the field right after the interception. 11-yard completion to Mitchell Tinsley. Six-yard completion to Mitchell Tinsley. Five-yard completion to Parker Washington. He runs for a first down. 14-yard completion to Parker Washington. So right after – and uh, there was a third-down conversion with that throw to Washington. So right after that interception, they came out. And, yeah, that drive ends up with him 
throwing a couple of incompletions. But he came out and he started to look like he was finding a bit of a rhythm, get figuring something out against this Indiana defense uh, that, again, isn't particularly good. But they had that confidence in him. He had that confidence in himself, came out, and from there, you know, just looked solid. There was a, there was a three and out after that drive. Touchdown drive starts with Sean Clifford throwing to 27 yards for Katron Allen and then Allen running it in. That next drive, completion to Theo Johnson, incomplete to Johnson, but there's a personal foul on there. They then decide to start running the ball. I think Clifford had a very nice, very solid, pretty good game. Ultimately, one of those games where Penn State's running backs and offensive line did more than enough. And then Aller, the only thing I only like complaint I have about Aller is that like he throws it too hard, man. <laughs> like he once he figures that it's like I, I think Byron Leftwich was the guy who used to do this, but once he figures out how to take like ten percent off of his throws, so they're not just like you know there's they're a little easier to catch because there's going to be one that just hits someone in the hands and they're going to drop it at one of these points, but otherwise like you can just see it. It yeah. looks different when he throws the football. It looks easier when he throws the football. And once he gets that stuff in between the ears, it, like this is his job, this is going to be his job for the next however many years. And you can even tell with Dan Orlovsky while he was calling the game, you mentioned everything that he said about, I want to see this, this, this. At the same time, you could tell that he's excited about Drew Allen and the promise that he has and the yeah. stuff that he is, how he's just able to do stuff. But we'll get to that in a second. Let's talk about a sponsor of this lovely podcast, Craig. And that nut sponsor is named Home Field Apparel. You uh you you uh you heard of these home field apparel people? These home field apparel jokers. They have, some have? Stuff. there's some nice stuff. Yeah. I have my uh oh, my take me, take me to, to Happy Valley. Valley on shirt right right now. This is a little something for the fine folks on YouTube who are watching this podcast. But yes, home field apparel as you've known all year, they are our podcast sponsor. If you are a college sports fan on the internet, you've seen them, you're aware of them. They are a premium collegiate apparel brand based out of Indianapolis. They are Hoosiers. They are uh, an Indiana company. So uh, the fact that they still sponsor us, I'm pretty surprised by it. Their shirts are comfortable. They're unique. The designs that they have make you feel a little bit closer to your school. They truly are fantastic, especially the stuff in their Penn State collection. There are 15 pieces of apparel in all in their Penn State collection. And if you are a new customer, you can use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, to get 15% off of your first order. Again, ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order. Thank you again to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring this podcast. And Craig, let's get to talking about Penn State's defense and what went right for them. Um, this might be the shortest segment that we've ever had in the history of the pod, because I think we could just say everything and then everything. we'd be safe to move on. <laughs> yes. the, okay. So the only thing that I would even say was not great injuries, which you mm -hmm. never want to see, obviously in a game where it's especially a blowout, Curtis Jacobs gets hurt, does not return. What does that mean for Penn State's already thin linebacker core remains to be seen. Tyler Elsden got hurt. Came back in, got hurt again. Um, Kobe King ends up the leading tackler uh, on the game, which probably no one expected. Um, on the other side, you have his brother, Kalen King, getting his first interception as a Nittany Lion, which was nice to see considering how many passes this team has broken up. Um, generally, you know, 
they they don't get me wrong they played awesome once jack once tuttle was out of the game i mean they only had to do what they had you know there was almost no threat um from an indiana's offense now that's that said they still made all the plays you know to bring it home so just very impressive i thought carter played a great game um i thought that the secondary was again ridiculous um as usual I did want to see. Let's check this real quick. Uh, Indiana had 131 passing yards through three interceptions. Yep. 16 of 29. I just t- totally total domination. I mean, yeah, four point four point five yards per attempt for their quarterbacks. I mean, I the, the one thing I will say about this because again, this is just such like it's just Penn State was dominant. Uh, Indiana fired their offensive line coach a little bit earlier this year. And this game was a really good example as to why they had nothing at the point of the attack against Penn state secondary. Their one drive that worked well. And, you know, Jacob Rude told us about this on our preview podcast was they can script things and they will have one or two drives where things go well for them. And they're good at scripting things. Then they have one or two drives. So their first drive ends in a three and out. Their very next drive goes eight plays, 75 yards for a touchdown. And it seemed to me like the speed that they played at when they in getting plays off, which just comes after you like that mixed with the fact that Penn state's kind of got lost in the sauce with how quick things were happening. And Jack Tuttle was able to make some stuff happen with his legs as a result. I think that gave Penn state some trouble, but once they figured that out, once they got a chance to see that as a coaching staff, as uh, as a group of players, whatever, they just had no trouble with it. Everything started up front. Again, this is not a good Indiana offense. Jack Tuttle, Dexter Williams, Brendan Soresby is not a, uh, the fact that you even had to play three quarterbacks in the first place to get to 14 points is pretty indicative of that, but they couldn't do anything throwing the ball. They couldn't do anything running the ball. And a portion of that is because of their struggles. But at the same time, like you mentioned, Craig, a guy like Kobe King steps in and just goes right after like their linebacker core just attacked, attacked, attacked. Penn State's defensive line just kept attacking. You look at how deep Penn State got into uh, its snap counts. I we haven't seen the numbers yet, but like Sebastian Costantini had a tackle in this, or had a pass uh, breakup in this game. Like Penn State was getting deep into its deep. list of guys, yeah. and I think that's a, I, I think that's indicative of how one sided this game was. Like Definitely. Penn, Indiana's scoring drives was where it's second drive and it's last drive. And I actually think, and I'm interested to just hear what you think I about this. I think the speed that they played at, it hurt Penn state on the first drive and it hurt Indiana on every other drive after that. Absolutely. Like, yeah. They, they didn't have any time to compose themselves. Correct. When, when you have, you know, you're constantly behind the chains, behind the chains, and then you're running a play every like, Okay, that didn't work, but let's get to line and snap it again. Okay, yep. that didn't work. Let's get to line and snap it again. Now you've given your defense, you know, 90 seconds to recover and you're punting the ball again. Um, it Again, I don't know if them being more methodical would have been helpful for anyone on that team. 
Um, but it was a little odd to see how, and maybe that's just their MO. They go that fast all the time. They do. Um, but like you said, in the scripted drive, so they have a completion of 14 yards on a big third and 10. This is the touchdown drive, right? Then he hits the pass to Kobe for 35 yards. And then the touchdown was 11. Okay. So there you have 60 of the 131 yards passing on one drive. And then the rest of the game, they had 71 yards passing. (sighs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) But yeah, I'm actually going to now go through and read the amount of time every drive took for Indiana. A minute 58 on their first drive, 241 on their second. 253, 57 seconds, 38 seconds, a minute 44, a minute 48, 50 seconds, and that was when they kneeled out to end the half. A minute and eight seconds, 28 seconds, 52 seconds, two minutes and seven seconds, 14 seconds, and then by that point, it's 45 to seven. There were one, two, three, won't count the kneel down, four, five drives by this offense that took less than a minute. And obviously a big portion of that is on Indiana and just how recklessly they play. And like, you know, this is because I have a lot of Indiana fans and I talk to a lot of Indiana fans, uh, or a lot of Indiana friends talk to Indiana fans, uh, reckless to the point of hurting your team. But at the same time, Penn State did a really good job just throwing their offensive line around, getting back to their quarterbacks and, even when it looked like something good could potentially happen, saying, no, that's not going to happen. And I think that's just about all you can ask for out of a defense. Um, yeah, any other any other final things you want to say about the defense before we get into, you know, dive a little bit deeper into the quarterback stuff? No, just good to see, again, the depth. Um, Abdul Carter's development has been awesome. The secondary um, is super deep, and it's good to see that as well. The defensive line played again, super deep because of the score and the situation and the speed at which Indiana played. I mean, and I guess they're doing this to try to avoid allowing the defense to substitute, but I mean. Every player on the defense is better than every player on your offense. (laughs) Who cares? Exactly. If they're substituting, they're putting a worse player in. That helps you. Like, whatever. Anyway, speaking of substitutes, uh, Penn State's quarterback situation, Craig, coming into this week, it seemed like James Franklin was leaving the door a little bit open for Drew Hour to get in early. Maybe, you know, we haven't figured it out yet. Who knows what this is going to be? Blah, blah, blah. You know, we're talking conversations private, blah, blah, blah. Sean Clifford came out, played the entire first half. Played the first two drives of the second half. It's 31-7 with 8-21 left to go in the third quarter. And Drew Aller came into the game from that point on. Um, I had a hunch this was what was going to happen. You know, again, I said on the Hardcore Penn State Football Podcast that, like, I just think at a certain... I think James Franklin, like, gets bored and needs ways to keep himself occupied. And this is, like, a surefire way to keep himself occupied. But at the same time, he made it clear after the game. He didn't just speak. It wasn't just a James Franklin decision. He talked to a bunch of different people within the program to figure out how to play this out. Part of me wonders if he did that because he wanted to make clear this was not a James Franklin and James Franklin only decision. But regardless, that's what we got out of Penn State's quarterbacks. What did you think of how Penn, James Franklin, Mike Yersich, whomever, 
handled Penn State's quarterback situation in this game because there sure are, were a whole heck of a lot of people who wanted to who said, you know, maybe maybe let's uh, maybe we can see Drew Aller for one of these first half possessions. Maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I mean, obviously, you go back and think about the game, but I I probably would have been fine with Aller coming in as soon as Tuttle went down because you watched what your defense did to this true freshman um, Indiana quarterback, and it wasn't pretty, and they weren't moving the ball. And um, I had no problem with how it played out. It was great. He got a ton of time, so he got a full quarter plus almost nine minutes, um, which you don't expect to for them to necessarily be able to achieve in a Big Ten road game. Um, but as soon as Tuttle was hurt, I was kind of like, oh, maybe now it's time for – for Drew to come in and get a series. I, here's the thing. I'm not a huge fan of there's, there's, there's two items. I want Aller to get time with the ones because I think that is the pre- presents the most challenge to him facing the opposing defense, but also gives him the best chance to succeed because he has the best players that Penn state has on their team around him. Right. But I'm also not a huge fan of like, give Clifford two series, then we're going to give Aller a series, and then we're going to give Clifford a series, and then we're going to give Aller a series, or whatever the mix mm-hmm. may be. I'm not a huge fan of going back and forth because I think it just screws everything up. And now maybe Clifford is, you know, he's been here forever. That's not the type of thing that would bother him. Um, but it, I don't know. It's not really my thing. I think yeah. once you put the kid in, it's his show for the rest of the game, regardless of when the, during the game that is. Yeah, and I want to give a, a, a quick hat tip uh, to Audrey Snyder of The Athletic, who puts this in a piece she wrote today. Uh, Clifford played 55 snaps, Hour got 30 snaps on the day. And I, I agree with you completely. I wanted, whenever Drew Hour came in, and... You know, I think that Sean Clifford has done, you know, played enough football that if you put Aller in for a drive and you decide, okay, that's it for your one first half drive, we're going back to Sean, like it's not going to be a big issue for Sean. But I wanted whenever Drew Aller was going to step into that game for Drew to be able to focus and know that this is my show. This is Penn State's offense as run by Drew Aller not Penn State's offense as run by Sean Clifford that I am interrupting for the next three to 10 plays or whatever. And what I will say is I think that Auer looked really loose, really calm, really composed, and really confident. And of course, Indiana's defense by that time, it looked like, you know, if they hadn't given up, they did a really bad job of making it look like they weren't giving up. Uh, but by the time that he came into that football game, things were pretty done and dusted. And he got to go into that game with the full understanding that basically nothing that he could do was going to lead to him getting the hook, Sean Clifford coming back in, Clifford having to save the day for a drive or two, and then Drew going back in because it's safe. And I just, like, I hate viewing, I hate having to handle your quarterback situation 
that way. And the example that I am going to point to for this of what happens when this sort of situation can go wrong in a good way, a bad way, whatever, was this weekend a couple hundred miles west of me in South Bend, Indiana. Uh, DJ Uyunglele played quarterback and he was not having a particularly good day. And, you know, DJ Uyunglele is similar to Sean Clifford. He's a veteran guy, played a lot of football, not always great, not, not always great flashes, whatever, this sort of thing. They decide that for no rhyme or reason, just because this was the time to do it, With Notre Dame up 14 to nothing in the third quarter, this was going to be the time to get Cade Klubnick in and see what Cade can do in this kind of a situation. And because it was a high leverage, you know, one of those high leverage situations, uh, the kid wasn't totally focused and settled and able to go into something a little comfortable. Klubnick's first pass was intercepted. And then he went back into the bench and DJ Uyunglele came right back in uh, with no, after Notre Dame scored immediately off of that play. Now, I think the, these situations are very different. Notre Dame is a much better football team than Indiana, Craig. But the big thing is, I think if you are trying to put Drew Aller in positions to succeed so he is able to build on his performances, you want to put him into a situation where he can have tunnel vision on how things are going to go. And to that end, while I understand the frustration of not seeing him sooner, I think James Franklin played this. James Franklin, Mike Yersich, whomever else played this about as well as they could have. Yeah, I agree. And to to my point specifically, if you do this trading possessions or whatever, it has to be extremely clear that it's, Two Clifford series, one Aller series, two Clifford series, one Aller series, regardless of outcome. You cannot be reactive in this situation because you're just going to torpedo someone's confidence, probably end up losing a game that you should win. And then it's just a bad situation all around. Then you have two quarterbacks that don't like the head coach, um, maybe don't have the confidence to make the throws that they should make. And so far we haven't seen that from either Penn state quarterback. Yeah. And And so, and if I may, you mentioned something really important there. Sean Clifford looked like he was having the goddamn time of his life watching drew Aller play quarterback. I mean, he's pointing first downs. He's like, right. He's going to make it like, Oh, don't get tackled. And then he runs for a first. Yeah. I mean, fully. if you didn't, if you didn't know better, you would have thought that was the guy on the offense. That was Sean Clifford's younger brother. (laughs) He was probably jealous that uh, Aller completed a pass to Liam. You know, he's only got one of those. And now I think uh, Aller's hit him three times this season. Yeah, they, they're they building up a bit of a connection. You got you got to think that there is some conspiring between Drew Aller and Liam Clifford to get his older Liam's older brother out of the paint. But yeah, like Clifford looked like he was having a blast and he was really proud and really happy with the performance Aller was putting on out there. Aller looked like he was having a blast playing and then what was happening he was coming to the sideline he was sitting right down on the bench and sean clifford is right there talking to him praising him coaching him through things whatever like i i don't know 
the only way you could say that this was not handled well, the quarterback situation, this game was not handled well, is if coming into this game, the only way it could have been handled well was for Drew Aller to start. Right. And if you're there, it's basically a not a worthwhile conversation, in my opinion, yeah. because regardless of arm talent and everything else that goes into it, clearly the preparation aspect, the mental aspect, the understanding of coverages and defenses and everything that goes into being a division one quarterback takes a lot longer to learn than perhaps like telling Abdul Carter rush the quarterback yeah. or telling um, Drew Shelton block the man in front of you. And I'm not saying that offensive line or linebacker are easy positions by any means, but you have to have so much more than just a physical game to be able to play quarterback well in the big 10. So, yeah. And yeah, I, I, I think that's all, that's all completely fair. And now Sean Clifford is 16 yards away from passing Trace McSorley for the most passing yards in Penn state history. So that's happening this week against Maryland at some point barring something, you know, completely unforeseen. It's going to be a really cool moment for Clifford to do that. And I will bet money that, if not the first, one of the first people over to him to give him a hug, to dap him up, to praise him after that happened is going to be Drew Aller. Because it seems like they have a really special relationship between the two of them. Uh, yeah, I agree. Let's move on to handing out some game balls, Craig. Game balls. You hand out game balls on the offensive side of the football and the defensive side of the football. Let's go with offense first. Who's getting your game balls? Um, I'm going to go Brenton Strange, um, to me, played a whale of a game that didn't necessarily show up in with scoring like no touchdowns right but only two catches for 29 yards the catch one of which me one of which was a really insane. good catch. <laughs> insane um i think that that crazy little t formation that they run or the wishbone or whatever you want to call it when both um tight ends are in the backfield or um Strange lines up as the center back with uh, a running back on either side of him. These are he's just provided another level of security and consistency in blocking that has allowed these two freshman running backs to flourish. And again, that catch is like holy cow! And extended a drive. <laughs> you know, that there was that weird substitution, not penalty, non penalty, right before that, where Penn State thought they had a first down on penalty but then it ended up being third and five anyway. And, you know, Clifford rolls out and throw, throws this ball. Like I said, basically went through the defender and keeps the drive going. So um, everyone else that we've talked about, the, he'll get my first one. I thought he played um, a very solid all-around game. Yeah. Obvious tip of the hat to Catron Allen, but for me it ha it's going to Drew Shelton and J.B. Nelson. I mean, I – Big time. The fact – I, I like started laughing to myself earlier today over just the thought of what would happen. You know, I'm not going to name any specific names or anything like that, but if I told you in 2015, in 2020, 2021, 2021, whatever that, Penn State's starting left tackle was out. And the guy that they would put at left tackle has to play right tackle because the right tackle is out. So a true freshman has to play there. 
and Penn State's starting left guard is out, and then its backup left guard gets hurt on the first play, and they got to put a junior college guy in there, you would expect they're running for 1.2 yards per yeah. carry, even against the worst of defenses that they would go up against. You would assume that the quarterbacks would be running for their lives. And the way that Nelson and Shelton held up on Clifford's blind, slap, blind side, that's really impressive to me, man. That's something that Penn State just hasn't had in years past. And I think they need to get a lot of credit. Like, I, I don't recall uh, Allen's fourth touchdown, a uh, third touchdown off the top of my head, but Singleton's touchdown, they ran over to that left side. Allen's first touchdown. They were all, they were all to the left. All they were all to the left. Yeah. So all four touchdowns were behind the side of the offensive line with those guys in there. And, you know, that's, you know, again, testament to Phil Troutline testament to these guys that it, it's just really impressive to me it's not something that i expect out of penn state's uh offense defensive side of the football who's getting your game ball for this one craig man that's a really good question <laughs> you know what what the heck I, i'll just say something that you didn't expect to see a backup playing a huge role leading the team in tackles um i'll go with kobe king because again i don't think anybody saw that performance coming um, when even the, the that unit has, let's be very frank, that unit has struggled mightily and been exposed in the passing game and the run game by um, some superior opponents who we don't need to rehash that right now. But what a confidence boost for that kid to come in and have a game like that. Again, we know Indiana's not great, but still hat tip to him yeah i'm um, there are just a million different guys on penn state's defense who would deserve this so i'm just going to take a cop out and i want to say caitlin king because that interception that he had was Ooh. quite good uh went up played the ball and joey joey porter jr is the guy on penn state's defense and he is you know we have three maybe four more games with him before he goes and makes a whole hell of a lot of money in the nfl uh teams know not to throw at him yeah. That interception was proof that throwing at Kalen King, further proof that throwing at Kalen King is not a particularly great idea either. Agreed. So I'll give him his flowers, but if you want to give it to Kobe King, Jalen Reed, Jair Brown, Adisa Isaac, Chopper, like whatever, give it to them. Like I'm not going to count up the number of guys on Penn State's defense who recorded a tackle. It was a lot. <laughs> uh, so I think that's it for Indiana chat. Uh, we'll take you know, a minute or two here at the end of the podcast to look ahead to what Penn State has up on the horizon, which is this Saturday they play host to the Maryland Terrapins, 3.30 p.m. kick on Fox, uh, Penn State and Maryland. You know, little, th- things get a little bit testy when they take the field together. Last, the last year, the Nittany Lions won 31-14 in a game that probably wasn't as close as that score might indicate. And then the year before, uh, Maryland came to Happy Valley, one thirty-five to nineteen, which threw the ball over Penn State. Nittany Lions entering this game with a seventy-eight percent chance of winning per FPI, twelve-point favorites. Uh, Maryland, the number thirty-five team in the nation in SP Plus, thirtieth offensively, 49th defensively. And Craig, the thing that I will say about Maryland is that they are a team where their lows are. Very, very low. When things don't go well for this team, you know, last week was a really good example. They played against Wisconsin in Camp Randall. They lost 23 to 10, had 189 yards of total offense, only one interception. 
but it just was not looking good. On the other side of it, when this offense is cooking, when Talia Tagovailoa is hitting his very talented group of pass catchers, when Roman Hembry is a- and Antoine Littleton are able to get a bit of a head of steam in the run game, when their defensive players are able to create some havoc plays, they could be a team that is a little bit dangerous. They gave uh, Michigan their run for their money in Ann Arbor a little bit earlier this season. So just what are your general thoughts as we head in into this next game week against a team that, you know, even on their down years, they come into Happy Valley with that little something extra prepared for the Nittany Lions. Yeah, they definitely bring the smoke against Penn State generally. I mean, now you go back three years ago, it was the KJ Hamler show in – um, College Park. We went that game. I was not. Yeah, ah. I have two. I have like thirteen kids. They just, I don't go to the games <laughs> anymore. Um, even though I am literally probably twenty minutes from the stadium. Um, and Sean Clifford, great game, fifty six zip, whatever the score was, just absolute beat down. And then they totally stomped Raheem Jarrett. Totally exposed Lamont Wade over and over and over again um, in Happy Valley in the COVID year. And then last year was the Dehan Johnson show. Um, probably could have had like four touchdowns and Jair Brown sealed it. And again, like you said, it's feast or famine for them. If yeah. Tualia is hitting and that's his, that's always been his bugaboo. If he's on, he can, they can play with anybody in the country. Yeah. But have his, have the times that he's been on been, equal to the times that he's been off and he's now they had a bye week and then um, he missed a game. They had a bye week and he came back for Wisconsin. How healthy is he? Nobody really knows. Deplorable game in Wisconsin. To be fair, it was played in a monsoon. Graham Mertz was no better, but Graham Mertz is terrible. He, no one looks at him and says, this is a top quarterback in you, the conference. You, you, you have some respect for Graham Mertz, my man. He's done a, he has done a better job ever since Jim Leonard has taken over. They, I, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and say he's been great, but he's been. Uh, he's been better. It's only going up. Only way to go is up. That's I right. Suppose. That's right. <laughs> um, but again, like you mentioned, they have elite skill on the outside. Um, they have some nice running backs. They have a much better offensive line than Indiana. They have a much better defensive line than Indiana. The back seven, who knows? Um, their special teams game, wild card. Um, so we'll see. I think that I don't think Penn State is going to have any issue bringing their juice to this game. Three thirty yeah. kick, Happy Valley, and there are so many guys from Maryland on the squad. It's kind of like the Rutgers thing, where so you know we said like we got the big banner that says all these guys. You know, R- R- Rutgers calls the New Jersey Traders. Well, there's as many kids from Maryland that are on Penn State's team. So I think. Um, it it they're not going to have any problem bringing bringing the excitement and, and and playing a great game. And to be honest, the offense has played about as well as I could have expected the last three games, um, outside of obviously turnovers. But I think they're. I have a feeling it's going to be a, a very entertaining game. Yeah, I mean, I uh, I think Penn State's a better foot, like a clearly better football team than okay. Maryland, but. Like you mentioned, when Maryland is cooking and things are going well for them, they can be a really dangerous football team. But fortunately, I think the Penn State has started to figure some stuff, not even figure some stuff out. 
their big issue over the last couple of years is they lose a game and then they lose the game after it. Minnesota, they came out after losing to Michigan and kicked the hell out of Minnesota. Indiana, they came out after losing to Ohio State and kicked the hell out of Indiana. So this is a team that Penn State is better than, and Penn State I don't think is running the risk of running the risk of finding itself in a position where, uh, you know, we just don't have that little extra something this week. We're, you know, which is not our day, whatever. No, this is a Penn state team that they were 15 in the college football playoff rankings last week. Obviously it's different uh, for the AP, but the AP, they are 14th in the country. This is a Penn state team that stuff is going to happen ahead of them. And that stuff could lead to Penn state being in a very cozy spot for a New Year's Six Bowl, depending on how things work out for them. And I think that Penn State's going to bring that little extra something. I think that going up against this Maryland passing attack is going to be tricky. But I think getting a sense of, while Indiana's nowhere near as good, going up against a team that's going to want to play fast and attack and attack and attack, even if they suck at it, is some getting a glimpse of that's going to be something that's really helpful for Penn State. So I think it's going to be a good week for Penn State. Uh and if Penn State wins this game, you know, they should win out. Like, they should be able to win out very easily. I Let, think they're much, much better than Rutgers, and I think they're much, much better than Michigan State. Yeah, let's be – they should win out. Let's. They should. Absolutely. They should. But I would say this is the game on the this, schedule where if they're going to lose, I would be primed to think they're going to lose. Yeah. I, I would be extremely surprised to see a loss. I think it could be more competitive than would make some people comfortable. Um. It's a big spread, but we'll see. Yeah. yeah. Uh, any final thoughts, Craig, before I wrap this pot up? No, I'm just, like I said, just seeing these, the young guys continue. Like we're just seeing how much James Franklin is getting out of this recruiting class last year with the amount of true freshmen that have played. Yeah. And it is an unbelievable number. Um, it's, it's really cool to watch because you're, you're seeing the groundwork laid for the next two seasons and they're st- like you said, they're in a position to be in a New Year's Six Bowl and have this unbelievable amount of talent in the underclasses that can really hope to string uh, some nice seasons together. So, agreed. And uh, only thing I want to say: shout out to Penn State women's soccer. Ooh, uh, I am, uh, as a lot of you know, I live in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, earlier today in Columbus, Ohio, the Penn State women's soccer team took on the Michigan State Spartans at Lower.com Field, home of the Columbus crew with the Big Ten Championship on the line and the Nittany Lions. It, it, it was a little bit tricky. Uh, certainly was not fun, was not easy, uh, but they were able to pick up a 3-2 win. Uh, Michigan, Penn State was up 2-1. Michigan State scores just a banger in the 75th minute. And then at the 82nd minute, uh, ball gets played into the, to the box. Allie Schwiegel just decides she's going to be the one who gets to it in the ensuing chaos. Nittany Lions win three to two. They're big 10 champions. They're heading to the, uh, heading to the NCAA tournament. Uh, Erica Dombach, next coach of the United States women's national team. When that happens, I'm, I'm very excited for that. Even though I will not be excited to see Erica leave, uh, leave happy Valley. I, I, you 
know, actually, let's not have Erica be the next coach of the United States Women's <laughs> National Team. I'd like to keep her in Happy Valley. Uh, but yes, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roars. Always make sure you're subscribing to us wherever you go and get your podcast. Head to the Linktree link in our Twitter bio for where that could be. If it's somewhere where you can leave a review, leave us a five-star review. If you can't leave us a review and you can just rate us, give us five stars. We'd appreciate that. If you're over on YouTube, head into the comments section. Talk about Penn State with one another and have a good time doing that. Uh, make sure you're following us on our Twitter account at RLR blog. And again, thank you very much to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring this podcast. Again, for first time orders, use the promo code Roar Lions Roar, one word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. For my co host, Craig Fritz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.